97X, WOXY, Oxford, Cincinnati, and Dayton, the future of rock and roll. Don't forget to tune in today at 12 noon as Dar will have Back to the Future uh, for the business lunch. Men at Work, Depeche Mode, and more. All lined up today. It's all brought to you by AG True Value Dave. Uh, Hardware in Oxford. Dave. AG True Value. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're, you're, well, that's AG's a good guy. <laughs> he, he is a great dude. He can play a great uh, finger-picking mm-hmm. style of guitar, too, on his commercials. Yeah. But we yes, don't sir. we don't run commercials anymore. In fact, we don't have a radio station anymore. It's a shame. I would love to go back to the back, not back to the future. I'd love to go back to 97X days, but we can't. That station is defunct. It signed off terrestrial in 2004, went off the air online in 2010. So you are living in the past, my friend, Dave. But the good news yeah, is so. we do a podcast about those days, and we talk to folks who knew and loved 97X, but today... Dave, you've really outdone yourself because we have somebody who predates 97X, predates even Doug and Linda taking over the station. It's Chuck Cowdery who is joining us today. And Chuck, tell us about your background at the station. I was a student at Miami and uh, went to Miami with the intention of getting into radio. It actually worked in radio in high school at a small station in Mansfield, Ohio, a WVNO. I was telling some people over the weekend, we had FM, RCA FM transmitter number 0006. Wow. So, you know, and this was in, you know, 60, I, I'm not sure when I started working there, but 68, 69, certainly maybe 67. Anyway, so I was already into radio and went to Miami, was a radio, TV, film major. And although as anyone who went to Miami in that era will know, there was no film. It was the only film was in the name of the degree, but we did do a lot of radio and TV. And then um, I guess some part time in my junior year uh, was when Rick Sellers got the job as general manager at the station uptown, WOXR. And he started making some changes. And I did some work part-time uh, while I was still in school. And then when I graduated in June of 73, I went on full-time, in a sense, double full-time because I was operations manager. Well, you guys know, I mean, you all, I'm sure in your era too, all wore multiple hats, but I was, yeah. I was uh, early evening, um, DJ, uh, operations manager, uh, I was a say, you know, time salesman. So I think those were my, those were my three hats. And, uh, Rick Sellers, uh, was the guy who was running the station and myself, Mark Davidson, Mark Fullerton, um, a few other people who, you know, names I remember from time to time. Um, and that was it. And and we we had the station up on uh, Church Street originally in an old house uh, on the first floor of an old house. And uh, in some ways, that was more pleasant because we at least had a window to look out onto the street. And then we moved into the you know the building where the Burger Chef was um, mm-hmm. on on uh, High Street. I don't know what that building was when you guys were there. Was the station even in it? Did you guys ever remember the station being there? No, it, it mm-hmm. had it had moved prior to that to uh, College Corner Pike, but we heard stories. I think Steve Baker 
uh, it worked in the Burger Chef location. Yeah, that's the best way to refer to it. Yeah. <laughs> the people who work there, I know I've seen some people on the OXY site who remember the um, the smell of the hamburger wrappers in the dumpster. So, um, so there definitely were some people there who remembered that location. I was told that it became a pet shop after we were there, but we were the first ones in that space, and this was all you couldn't talk any you couldn't imagine a more do-it-yourself radio station um we literally the day we changed over from the one location to the next disconnected one of the, our two only two turntables um and hauled it down to the new place and continued to stay on the air with the one remaining turntable until they got the first turntable installed at the new place and then we switched over to the new place and quickly hauled the second turntable down there so we could actually be fully functional. We built, did the whole build out ourselves uh, in terms of, you know, just the, the construction separating, you know, wall separation, two by fours and all of that. Uh, and did all the wiring, all the electronics. The, the limit of my skill set was my ability to wire a, a patch panel, but um, we had people in the group or friends. Um, there was a guy up in Dayton who was sort of an electronics prodigy. And he actually, some of the, some of you, some of your listeners may know him. It was uh, Juana Johnny from WTUE in Dayton. And he was um, terrific with electronics and he built our uh, mixing consoles. And so it was very do-it-yourself kind of operation, but we had a lot of fun with it. That's the main thing. That's the, the best memory I can say of it is we had a lot of fun. What what kind of format did you have when you moved to the Burger Chef location? Well, it was the same we had had on Jerk Street. We didn't really, the whole time I was there, format was essentially the same. Um, sellers, you know, sellers had a really good idea, I think, of what to do in, in a, in a college town like Oxford, because you've got to, you've got to serve the community as well as serving the students. And it's not always the same thing. And what Rick did was tilted a lot more in the direction of the students, but his morning show was very much almost like a morning show you'd hear on WGN here in Chicago. It was a lot of talk, a lot of news and weather and sports and just chit chat and you know, what's going on here today? And somebody comes in from the parks and talks about some, and Rick was just a genius at that stuff. He had this terrific personality and he could keep those things going. And then he'd, you know, fill in with a little bit of music, typically top 40 or oldies, top 40 oldies. And that was kind of his thing anyway, it was oldies. Um, and that was the morning, and then somebody would be on in midday, and it would be a little bit more of a music emphasis, and then, um, you know, and so on through the day, each person, each day part got a little bit more emphasis on music, and also just a little bit more free form. I mean, the main thing we were, you know, the term then was progressive rock, but I think, if, like, if I start mentioning the, the bands that we played, you know, Every, anything from Neil Young to uh, King Crimson to Procol Harum, you know, you listen to that list and, you know, Who, Stones, blah, blah, and it sounds like Alamo oriented rock. It sounds like AOR. Yeah. And in fact, AOR was what kind of killed the freeform progressive stuff that we were doing. 
which was why in a lot of ways I was really kind of gratified to hear that the station eventually went back to being a true progressive station um, because we had that brief moment in time when we were that. But we were free form in the sense that only maybe a college station could possibly be because I would come on and I would do things, you know, I would play Spike Jones records from the forties and then Beethoven. And then I'd read some E.E. E. Cummings and then I'd play Blue Oyster Cult for, for an hour. So, and we could do that. And nobody ever, I mean, if we ever got any pushback from somebody, it was from just putting on too much in terms of the management, you know, instead, the, the only pushback we ever got was for not doing enough ourselves live on the air and just playing too much music. But whatever we did on the air was okay. I mean, we never got any trouble for, oh, that was too weird or that was too out there or whatever. So we were a pretty cohesive group too. We were all really close friends. We hung out together all the time. We had an on-air joke that we all lived in a big house at the edge of town, and it wasn't true literally, but it was true metaphorically because we were, I remember the, the, I guess it was the, the summer of the Watergate hearings. Um, the PBS station would run them, rerun the whole day's hearings overnight. And so we would all get together at like three o'clock in the morning and watch the Watergate hearings all night in my apartment. Um, because all of us were basically night owls, we wouldn't. We'd listen. We all listened to each other too, so none of us would even think about going to bed until the last guy signed off at three a.m. And then, and then that was our social time. Yeah. Now, do you think to this day I still can't get up before ten thirty? <laughs> you must be a true star, then, Chuck, because stars don't <laughs> don't like to get up too early in the morning as I well know. Now, do you think the, the whole freeform progressive type of format was a, a, a product of the times, the, the early 70s, or, or the fact that it was a small town station? So it's like, hey, we can kind of, we have a sandbox and we can play in it. Like, wh- what do you think led to that? I think there was, you know, you guys, I'm sure know the origin story of EBN and the fact that we were right at that time that never was before and never will be again when FM was becoming real. FM had been around and, you know, and both this, both WXR and my station in Mansfield, WVNO, have been started by electrical engineers almost on a lark. And these were the pioneers of FM radio and they started their stations in the early mid sixties. I'm not sure when it actually started, but um, I know v- I'm going to say like maybe 65, 66. And, but, but, but none of them were commercially successful at first. And so you could just basically try anything and see if it stick, the one, if it would stick. The one thing we knew was that music or anything sonic, was going to be a lot better on FM than it would be on FM. So one of the things we liked to do was whenever there was a thunderstorm, uh, we would run, somebody would run out to the front door with a microphone and somebody would run out the back door with a microphone so we could broadcast the thunderstorm hysteria. <laughs> and, you know, 
and so we were doing things like that that we were, you know, you know, why would you do something like that? Because we could. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, and in honesty, I'm, I'm pretty sure he got the idea from EBN. I think they had done the exact same thing. And, oh, that's cool. We can do that. We have some long mic cords, you know? And, uh, so I think that was it. I think it was just a time when um, there wasn't that much money to be made in FM radio. So um, people who could get their hands on it could use it like a toy. And that's exactly what we did. Um, we just played with it and, and tried to figure out what we could do with it and what people might like. And we had a, a college audience in some ways being in Oxford, not being able to get a lot of other radio stations. Um, they, they were kind of ours. I mean, they, there wasn't any, it, a lot of the students couldn't even get EBN. And, uh, and, and that would be the only other thing they would have listened to. Did you ever get back or were you around when it finally flipped to WOXY and then started its progressive format or had you moved on by then? I definitely moved on. I got back uh, for a couple of years after I left. I mean, I left in, in 74. I was there for two and a half years, year and a half, you know, two years, whatever it was. Uh, not that long. And then for maybe three years after that, while Rick was still there, Rick was there till 75, we would get together at least once a year, sometimes a couple times a year. And whenever any of us were in town, we'd do a shift. I mean, it was just that informal. And over Easter, we had this thing we called the Roll Away the Rock Weekend, which was an all all oldies weekend. And all the old, uh, old jocks came in. And like I said, Rick Ludwin, who became a big executive at NBC, um, was one of the people in that group. He and Rick Sellers were good friends, the Ricks. And, uh, and he would come back and do a shift. And then... You know, I, that was when I lived in Dayton, so it was easy to run down. Uh, it was not as easy when I lived in Columbus. And then by, you know, by then, by the time I left Columbus and went to Louisville, there wasn't anybody there I knew anymore. Uh, I think, um, I'm going to say 89 or so, I went, I was in Dayton for something and went down to Louisville for the day just to see Louisville again. Uh, and that's probably the last time I've I've been there. I don't think I've been in Louisville or in Oxford rather uh, since about 1989. As the kids say, you know, back in the 1900s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know it all too well, Chuck. We know it all too well. But you did say so. You, you we, we came across you because you had a blog post about your time there, and you talked about how it was like you said, very much a collegial type of feel. Everybody hung out together. You had your wacky cast of characters, as small town radio would often uh, do. But you also, I think, said you felt like there was maybe something in the water that that station as a predecessor to the predecessor to 97X, like something was baked in, not just the burger chef smell, but there might've been something that people said, Hey, you know, we're going to try some different things. And that's what happened with 97X. Well, I think, you know, in addition to what I was saying before about the, the local kids, the kids that grew up in the area, I think maybe one of the other things we did for you guys was we got the advertisers accustomed to it. We got the advertisers accustomed to. So I'm sure there were a lot of them who remembered us. 
and maybe even remembered it as being a lot more fun to be on the station when we were there than it was in that when it went back to being just sort of a hokey top 40 station. Um, so I think we may have, that may have been going on too in terms of the groundwork that we laid. Um, but yeah, and maybe there was, you know, karma or something. Maybe there was, uh, maybe we said, maybe we cast a spell. I'd like to think so. Um, like I said, we had a heck of a lot of fun. And when I became aware of what you guys did, it sounded like certainly the same spirit. And that was why I, I wrote that. Cause I, I kind of just, I wasn't looking for recognition. I didn't think, you know, that we were responsible in any sense. I just thought that it obviously meant so much to so many people. I mean, what you guys did meant so much to so many people that I thought they might enjoy knowing that there was something else that was kind of similar in the same place. Yeah. And it's funny because you, you, you mentioned, or maybe I mentioned spirits, but spirits are a big part of your world now. Chuck, tell, tell us what you've, uh, you, you do these days. Well, I, you know, I've been through a couple of careers, uh, as I think is true in our times. I was in radio for a little while. I, I had a few more radio jobs um, after I left left Oxford. And, and quite honestly, I got to a point where I was, you know, trying to find a job. And I had two offers. And, and this is, I think we're now talking 1974. Yeah, 1974. I mean, we're not talking much after I left. Um, you know, radio jobs sometimes don't last very long. Yes. And uh, I was you know, looking for another job, and I basically had two offers on the table. And one was at a radio station in Galleon, Ohio which is a very small city outside of Mansfield. And the other one was at a department store in Dayton, Ohio, where I would be doing um, radio and TV advertising. And I'll mention the store, Elder Beerman, for people who maybe grew up in the area. And I took the Elder Beerman job, not because I made a conscious decision to switch from radio to advertising, but because it was further from my parents. And <laughs> I didn't, you know, I just, I just, couldn't fathom the idea of living in Mansfield anymore, which was what I would have been doing if I'd gone to work in Galleon. And then that moved me into a career in advertising, which I did for the next, I don't know, 20 or so years um, well, with agencies and then ultimately as a freelancer. And that's what I was doing when I came to Chicago. And then I got involved in this because, because I lived in Kentucky for 10 years. I did get involved working in the uh, bourbon industry, and that was a very bad time for the bourbon industry, the 1980s. It was pretty much at rock bottom, but I learned a lot about it, and I got interested in it. Then in 91, 92, uh, 1992 was the bicentennial of Kentucky statehood. Kentucky became a state in 1792, and the legislature appropriated some money uh, for people to produce programs on Kentucky subjects. And because I had a radio TV film degree from Miami University, I was able to produce documentaries. And so I put in a proposal to do a documentary about bourbon. And a guy called me up from the station and he said, I'm supposed to call you and just tell you that we received your application just to confirm that we received it but I can tell you, you're definitely going to get it because this is exactly what we hoped somebody would do. 
so I did this documentary and I just really caught the bug and I've been, uh, it never was my full-time career. It never became my full-time career until I retired. And now it's the only thing that I'm still doing, um, which is writing about bourbon. And I've written three books. Uh, they're called uh, Bourbon Straight, Bourbon Strange, and then another one called uh, The Best Bourbon You'll Never Taste about a, a product called A.H. Hirsch. Uh, special reserve um, bourbon. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And, and the Chuck Cowdery blog, where I wrote about uh, WOXR, uh, that's kind of my day-to-day outlet. And I write mostly about American whiskey or other things in the distilled spirits industry or the hospitality industry. And then I do occasionally write about you know, some, some some things about my life, some things about the other things that I'm interested in, uh, but a lot of sort of mem- remembrances. You know, the kind of kind of stuff old guys do. And I I, I also write a column for uh, Whiskey Advocate and a column for a Bourbon Plus magazine. So that's that's my. A uh, light work schedule for uh, for my retirement here. <laughs> you traded the vice of radio for the vice of bourbon. And one other note, I did mention less AG. Uh, Chuck was talking about you know advertisers that were longtime advertisers that you know they might have opened up the door for for WXY ninety seven X. Less did pass away a few years ago, but he was a really good guy and a good guitar player, and was a fan of ninety seven X and a supporter both musically and and uh, financially as being an advertiser at the station. Yeah, without those um, local Oxford uh, companies that would advertise on 97X, it would, it would it, our, our paychecks would have been even smaller, Dave, if you can imagine that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, Chuck, it's uh, been great catching up with you, and maybe one of these days we'll, we'll belly up to the bar and uh, enjoy a bourbon with you as well. Thanks for your time. Thanks again, Chuck. Love you. 97X. A little older, a little more confused. Rumblings from the Big Bush.